Open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue in our new series, By Faith, Witnesses to the Promise of God. And last week we began explaining the why behind our new series. And if you remember, I gave you three key reasons why we are taking a deeper look into Hebrews 11, into the characters that Hebrews 11 tells us about. I just want to review those with you very briefly. The first reason we looked at last week is, is I want the Scriptures to spur you on to faith living in its proper context. We're going to look over the next several weeks and months at how we are to conduct our lives in the context of faith. Faith means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And we're going to see how the Bible defines a life that is lived out of faith. The second reason that we are entering into this new series this fall is I want you to develop from the Scriptures a framework of the Old Testament. You remember I brought the, uh, the little parachute man uh, last, uh, last week? And a lot of times, kind of like the parachute man, you throw him up and he just lands wherever, wherever you've thrown him. We t- treat the Bible that way. We rip the Bible stories away from the context of the Bible and we, we don't really understand the, the, the importance of, and the meaning of the stories of the Bible because they're not in a context. So we are going to look at key stories in the Old Testament that point to a greater reality. That reality being Christ and how we are to live in light of Christ. Don just read this morning a whole list of Bible characters. And we have this morning, we have individuals here that are on all sorts of different spectrums of Bible understanding. For some of you, man, you've heard these stories over and over and over again ever since you were knee-high, raised in church, in Sunday school. Well, this is going to be for you because many times we develop wrong contexts throwing up that that uh, parachute man, we develop wrong context of understanding of why God gives us those stories in the Bible. And for some others of you, man, these stories are brand new. You're not familiar with guys like Noah or guys like Abraham or or guys like um, Enoch. Who in the world is Enoch, right? Well, this is going to help you in your Christian understanding of the Bible to be able to be more familiar with those key stories that the Old Testament presents. And not only to to be more familiar with them, but to be able to read them from the Old Testament and to have a greater idea of what they are pointing to when we come to the New Testament. Third reason that we discussed last week of why we are looking at this series is I desire uh, and I want the Scriptures in you to develop in you a biblical worldview in which to live. We need to, have to develop a biblical worldview in which to live. 
And again, discussed last week that we're not just talking about an issues-oriented Christian life. A lot of times as Christians, we're, we're keen on the issues, but not the understanding behind the issues. We, knew, we know what stands, or hopefully we know what stands should be taken um, regarding issues like abortion or like homosexuality or like all of those hot-button issues in our culture today. But a biblical worldview just doesn't stop with issues. In fact, issues is simply the fruits of a biblical worldview. Listen to probably one of the simplest and best definitions of what, it's, what it means for a Christian to live out of, uh, out of a biblical worldview that I have read. This is from uh, Jim Hamilton from his Revelation commentary. He talks about this biblical worldview This is what Christians need. He says, we need to be able to look at the world, filter it through the whole Bible, and then describe the world that we have seen the way the Bible describes it. This is what it means to have a biblical world view. Let me repeat that once again. He says, we need to be able to look at the world, So you see everything that's going on in the world. You see the temptations that you have as you live in this world system. You hear the conversations of your coworkers. You uh, all of that stuff. So we look at the world, and here's the second step: we then filter it through the whole Bible. Now, to be able to do that means that we have to have an understanding of the Bible. But we filter what we see, hear, observe, or even uh, we're tempted with, that we know those things aren't right. We filter it through the whole Bible. And from that, we describe the world that we have seen the way the Bible describes it. So the Scriptures are to be so flowing in our hearts and minds that we are able to, to view the, 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 the world system, to view the things we see. Take that back to our mind that, that has the Word of God flowing through it and to be able to filter what we see so that we do not become cons- de- deceived. This is what it means to have a biblical worldview. So as we go into this series, we're going to go on a journey back and forth from the New Testament in Hebrews to the Old Testament to discover what it means to walk in faith, to persevere in faith, and to live in light of Jesus and His promises that He has come to fulfill. And what we're going to see in Hebrews 11 is this key thought, that a faith that testifies is a faith in action. Let's say that together. A faith that testifies is a faith in action. Each one of these Bible characters that we read of in Hebrews 11 is a, they, their actions do not exemplify them as people. We're going to talk about this in this series. Uh, the author of Hebrews doesn't bring up Abraham and Noah and Enoch and, 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 and all of these characters to put them on a pedestal. 
No, what he does is he puts their faith on a pedestal. And he says, look at their faith because their actions simply testified to their faith. So we're going to look at the importance of that faith and how if we are to possess that faith, it is going to change the way we live. It's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the priorities that we hold in life. It's going to change all of these things as we follow Christ. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would instruct us from your word this morning. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be active in our hearts. Lord, thank you that as we come together, uh, we are your church, your temple. And Lord, we have the Holy Spirit, we have your presence not only dwelling within us, as individuals but Lord your very presence is here in our midst as we as your people are the temple of God so Lord I pray that everything that that we study today everything that we say today would be pleasing to you would be uplifting and pointing to your son and that your spirit would be would work through what is said in Jesus name amen the first key point that we looked at last week in building the foundation to this series, every good house has to have a good foundation, right? We looked at, first of all, that this series is going to help us build our foundation in the Scriptures. And I'm not going to rehash this because we talked about it next, uh, last week. First of all, we cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament, the New, uh, the New Testament tells us a lot, but if we just jump into the New Testament without really considering the Old Testament, it's kind of like what we talked about last week. It's kind of like walking into a movie when it's halfway done and expecting to know what's going on. I mean, the, the, the movie's going to have a lot of interesting things, and you're going to be able to follow some of it, but you're always going to be at a bit of a disadvantage because you didn't see the first half of the movie. Similarly, we cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. We can't say that the Old Testament is unimportant and the New Testament is, is, is where it's all at. The two go together, and similar, similarly, we talked about last week, that we cannot understand the Old Testament without the New Testament. We need both. We need the New Testament to help us to interpret the things we read in the Old Testament. Remember we talked about the Old Testament ends on a to-be-continued note. The promises God gave haven't been fulfilled yet. The people of God are, are, are left in captivity, and we're wondering... What's going to happen? The New Testament answers and sheds greater light on what we read about in the Old Testament. That's one of the strengths of, of the Gospel Project um, classes that we have. Is it, it helps us to develop an understanding of how the Old Testament unravels into the New Testament. 
In fact, uh, I, have, I have with me just a few uh, resources. We talked about being able to really know God's Word, and if we're going to know God's Word, we have to be in God's Word, right? There's no substitute for reading God's Word for yourself. In addition to reading God's Word for yourself, just a few big picture resources that... that um, that would greatly benefit you. Books that I've read in the past, I just want to, um, to mention these. If you want to look at these after the service, um, I'll put them at the resource shelf um, for a little while. Uh, just don't take them. These are my personal books. Um, but the first one is called God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. Great resource that's easy to read to help you understand, to help us understand how the Bible unfolds. You see, in addition to our reading the Bible, sometimes we need extra resources that help guide our thinking. Uh, Another great resource is called The Temple and the Tabernacle. It's a study of God's dwelling places from Genesis to Revelation. It gives you once again how the Bible unfolds itself from Genesis to Revelation. Again, a very interesting and and, and, and uh, on a level for everyday people to read. The temple and the tabernacle. Uh, a third one, it's a little bit thicker. Uh, read this several years ago now. Far as the curse is found. The covenant story of God's redemption. These are all resources that, that are meant to help us in our Bible understanding. You see, folks, if we are going to know the Old Testament, and if we are going to know the New Testament, we've got to be in God's Word. And we have got to be availing ourselves of resources to help us do that. If Again, if you want to look at those um, after the service, I'll put those in the back. But I want to bring you now, this is new, I want to bring you now to a second factor of building a case for our series. Not only do we want to build a foundation in the Scriptures, but secondly, we want to develop greater faith in God's promise. To develop greater faith in God's promise. And as we do this, we see the characters of Hebrews chapter 11 in their proper perspective. You see, all the way, the first character that's mentioned in verse 4, Abel, all the way to the end, we have to see that these individuals are not simply listed as mere examples to follow, as we uh, just said earlier. In fact, if you flip over, if you're in Hebrews 11, flip over just a few pages to Hebrews chapter 6. Look at what verse 11 and 12 say. The author of Hebrews says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Man, isn't that what we're called to in our Christian life? To be earnest about Christ, about our faith? To have the assurance of hope until the end, that we don't just die out halfway through the race, that that we 
persevere in the faith through the strength that, that Christ provides. And then look what he says in verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, we are not to be sluggish. How many of you today are feeling sluggish in your Christian life right now? How many of you today are feeling like, you know what, I want to throw in the towel? You know what, there's more questions than answers right now. There's more, there's more stress than joy. There's more, there's more heartache than peace. I want to throw in the towel. You're sluggish. And I wonder how much of that is tied into what we read in verse 11, that we have forgotten the full assurance of hope that we have as followers of Jesus. But no, our calling is to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, all that we have that Christ has given us, which is so much, we are still awaiting the fullness of that inheritance. We are still awaiting the joys of, of being with Him forevermore. There, there's no more the effects of sin. We have our dwelling with God. That is our inheritance. But, but we don't fully have that yet. So the question is, are we going to keep Per persevering because of the assurance of the promises that we have? Or are we going to be sluggish? You see, these individuals are listed to illustrate examples of the point that is being proved and that point is holding fast to the promises of God and going on in faith. In fact, it's, it's common when uh, at the time of, that Hebrews was written in Greco-Roman and Hebrew culture that oftentimes they made a huge list of things to prove a point that they wanted to make. And this, this isn't that foreign to our understanding, right? I mean, guys, you know, maybe you're, you're, you're at home and you're, you're in your lazy boy and... And, and, and the, the, uh, the, leg, the, leg, the legs are up on the chair and you're relaxing and your wife comes in and she says, what do you think you're doing taking it easy? Don't you realize the day I've had, I had to get up, I had to wash the dishes, I had to change the diapers, I had to, to break up fights with the kids, I had to do this, I had to go to the grocery store, I had to, what is that? That's a list to prove one point, right? How many of you have recently had that discussion? <laughs> Good, we have some honest people. Or, and it might be vice versa. The, the husband comes in and, and the, the, the things aren't in order or supper's not on the table and, and, and we as men have the, can have the wrong attitudes. And we can say, you know what? Or the kids are acting up and, and, and we say to the kids or to our spouse or who, whatever the case is, I was at work, I had this stress, I had to get this done, I had this deadline, I had that, I had that. 
Do, they, do, do your kids, does your spouse really need to know the whole list that was given? No. But you are using that list to prove a single point. And that's what we see in Hebrews 11. That we have this whole grocery list of individuals and that whole list of individuals is made to prove a single point. That we must follow in the footsteps of faith. If we are going to persevere in the Christian life, if we are going to inherit the promises that God has for us for all eternity, if we are going to be faithful to Christ. So as we read these stories, we are going to put on that biblical perspective, that, that sieve in which we read these stories through the purpose in which they are given. They are not randomly placed into this list. You see, they each to a greater or lesser degree illustrate the exhortation, the, 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 the challenge that is given to us in Hebrews. So for instance, you look at Hebrews 11. Verse 4 starts out by saying, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. We read of Abel, we read in him, and through the faith, the actions that testify to his faith, we read of a faith that still speaks. In verse 5, we read of Enoch, and we see Enoch has a faith that pleases. We read of Noah later on, right in the, uh, in the next few verses. We see a faith that sees. We later read of Abraham. We see a faith that is looking for a city that is looking for a greater reality than he can see at the point in time that he left everything. As he offers his son Isaac, we read that he had a faith in the hope of the resurrection. When we read of Sarah, his wife, we see a faith in the very faithfulness of God to accomplish his promises. When we read of the patriarchs the, that are listed in, in Hebrews 11, we read of how those individuals appropriated that faith for themselves in their life. When you read of Moses, you read of a faith that set his eyes on a greater reward than what was right before him. I mean, my goodness, you talk about a guy that had all of the riches at his disposal. I mean, he, he was, he was uh, the son of the Pharaoh. He, was, he, was, uh, he had the wealth, the riches of this world. But what happens by faith, the Bible says, he set those things aside. Being willing to be counted among God's people. And folks, this faith that was exercised so long ago in the Old Testament the promise, promises that were given to these Old Testament figures were simply given in its seed form. That seed had not sprouted. There was no evidence. There was no flowering of that seed. There was none of that. 
But they understood in seed form that God was holding out promises of something greater to come for his people. And that caused them to continue to turn their backs on that which was contrary to God. That comfort, that ease, those riches, they were enabled to go by faith because in faith they latched on to who God was and what his promises were. Folks, what excuse do we have today? That seed that was planted in the Old Testament, it has sprung up, it has grown, it has budded, and it is bearing forth fruit. Christ has come. We look back at the promises with the understanding of what came, who came, what that has accomplished, and what we are awaiting for at Christ's return. What excuse do we have to do what Hebrews 6 warns us of, of being sluggish? When we read of individuals who only had the promise in a seed form, and man, they exercise faith. And here's where the good news is each one of those characters that we read about in the Bible, they weren't perfect, they failed. And that's why we don't look to them as individuals as our sole example. Because they were imperfect like we were. But the faith they demonstrate points us to Jesus. Folks, we today are simply left without excuse. But I also want you to notice something else. Uh, I want you to notice the order, the way that this list in Hebrews 11 is set out for us. Because it's going to greatly help us as we go through these different characters of the Bible. I want you to notice the layout of, of, of what the author of Hebrews says, the layout of his argument. In chapter 11, he gives us examples of faith and perseverance. And notice that he starts in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We're going to talk about that next week and what, what uh, implications that has for our lives. But it starts out at creation. And then all of a sudden, we're given these examples of faith and perseverance throughout the rest of Hebrews 11. And remember, we don't have chapter divisions those were put in after God's word was written. Those were put in to help us read. So don't think that Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 are just distinct and have nothing to do with each other. No, you read right on into Hebrews 12, and where does that bring us? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12:1 says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the author is saying, man, this cloud of witnesses, now it's not your grandpa, it's not your grandma. A lot of times you hear teaching that the cloud of witnesses are, are, are all your family and friends who died before you and they're cheering you on. No, the cloud of witnesses in the context of what is being said are the characters of chapter 11. We have a cloud of individuals that have testified 
that this Christian life is worth persevering in by God's power because of the promise of the inheritance that God has for his people. And we move on with these examples in mind of those who have gone before us. But look at where this thought climaxes. Verse 2. Looking to who? Does it say looking to the cloud of witnesses? Looking to Jesus. Why? Because what was the thing that Jesus could do for us that none of the cloud of witnesses could do for us? Verse 2 describes it. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You see, Noah, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, all of, uh, uh, all of those individuals, they pointed to a faith, the faith. But there was only one individual that was the pioneer of that faith. There was only one individual that is not only the one who, who is the founder of that faith, the essence of where the promises are from, but he is the perfecter of our faith. He perfectly lived that life of faith. Look at what it says at the end of verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what it's saying? By faith, all of these guys in chapter 11 look to the promise, but Jesus himself was the promise. And he came down and he lived the very life of faith that those individuals in Hebrews 11 pictured, except he did it perfectly. And man, just like Noah he endured the ridicule of the world in building that ark, just like Moses. He endured the ridicule of the world in, in leaving everything he had in Egypt. Boy, those were only pictures to the greater reality of Jesus, who for the joy, the inheritance that God was to give him, endured the ridicule of the cross. And he, he went through it. He endured it. The shame. And he's seated today at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the call to faith. So what we are to see in our perspective of this faith and God's promises that we're to have is we are to realize that the fullness of God's plan has arrived in Jesus. All that the Old Testament promised is fulfilled in Christ. He is the one who came. We don't have time to turn there, but if you're taking notes, right there, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. The very book of Hebrews opens up talking about the fulfillment of who Christ is and what he has done. And what Jesus has done is Jesus has ushered in a new age in which we are to live for. We're not talking about the new age movement. <laughs> we are talking about a new stage of history. No longer a, 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 a a stage of history under the dominion of sin, but one that is broken into this world. 
One where there is deliverance from sin that we have found in Christ when we have turned from our sins, repented, and looked to Jesus for salvation. And now as we experience the beginning stages of that new age in Christ, we live knowing that, man, we've just received the first fruits of that harvest. One day we're going to experience it in full. This is where we are to live our lives. You see, this sure hope is to dictate our lives and our actions as we persevere in faith, just as it did the saints of the Old Testament. And then thirdly, as we wrap up, not only are we going to seek to build our foundation in the Scriptures, not only are we going to seek, seek to develop a greater faith in God's promise, that man, we're living with a biblical worldview because we know what God has called us to and the great, glorious inheritance that awaits us as His people. But thirdly, to provide a call to outward action. If there's one thing that Hebrews 11 shows us is that a true faith is going to be a faith that testifies outwardly. That's why James says um, faith without works is dead. Have you ever thought, well, do Paul and James contradict each other? I mean, uh, Paul says that uh, he emphasizes the need for faith apart from works. And then James says, no, you got to have faith with the works. What's the deal with that? Have you ever wondered that? What the deal is, is the audience to whom they're addressing their letters. Paul is addressing his letters to churches that are struggling, saying, is Christ alone sufficient for our salvation, or do we need to turn to the law in the Old Testament and to live and to fulfill that law in order to have salvation? Guess what, guess what Paul says? He says, no, only faith alone saves you. Just as it says in the Old Testament that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness, not his works. Now James, when he's writing his letter, he is dealing with something different. He is dealing with individuals, mainly Jewish individuals, that they are having the attitude, oh, well, I come by faith to Christ, so therefore my faith, I don't need to, I don't need to do anything else. I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to serve myself and I'm going to indulge in self and, and I'm just going to let my lip service be enough. James, in dealing with a different situation, says to his readers, you claim to have faith, but your faith is absent if it is not overflowing into your actions. And folks, that is why, without being a judge of anyone's heart, without trying to play God, we should not take uh, someone that simply says that they are a believer, we should not take that simply at face value. Because there is a work in the heart that manifests itself outwardly if true faith is present. 
And that outward manifestation may be something as simple as deep conviction of sin because no believer can be, can be living for themselves and be happy. It's, you just don't read it in Scripture. If someone is, is, is professing Christ, and man, they, there's, no, there's no conviction, there's no desire for the things of God, there's nothing. Not only does James, but the book of Hebrews tells us that that faith is dead. That faith is not present. You see, if we are going to be people of faith, we are called in our Christian life to have that faith outflow into our actions. And that's not a legalistic message that you need to do, do, do. That is saying that we are to draw upon God and the assurance and the promises that he has given us and let that motivate our hearts to service. You see, the outward call to action that, the, that, that our faith brings to us is it brings us an inward and an outward dependence on Christ. We already talked about Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Do you notice how there's an inward and an outward call there? The inward call is that we look to Jesus as our example, the assurance that not only has he started the work of faith, not only by him completing that work of faith, but, but by him giving us faith in, in, his, in himself. And he's going to perfect that faith because he perfectly lived the life of faith. So therefore, let us run outward. There is no inward without and also a call to the outward, but both of them are stemmed upon a deep dependence on Christ. Folks, just as I can't get up here in the strength of the flesh and have an outward dependence on self, so I cannot in the privacy of life have an outward dependence on self to live the Christian life on a daily basis, and neither can you. Not only does this give us, this give us an inward and outward dependence on Christ, but secondly, a desire and an assurance to draw near to Christ and to draw near to his people. When we understand the assurance of God's promises that he has given us through Jesus, man, we should want to draw near to him, not to run away from him. Who ran away from Jesus? It was Adam and Eve, right? When they, they knew that what they had done was wrong and they were not assured of any promises. We're gonna, we'll talk about a little bit of this when we get to Abel. They ran because they only had assurance of judgment because they disobeyed God. But then what did God do? He gives them a promise that from the woman is going to come a seed that's going to undo what they did. And folks, we now have the fullness of that promise. And, and when we see our own lives and our own failures and we sin all the time and, and we want to do the good we do and we fail... Folks, let's not run away from God. Let's run to Him. Why? Because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. But not only do we, 
should that spring up a desire for us to draw near to Christ, but it should spring up a desire for us to draw near to his people. Uh, if you would just, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, just a page over, read along with me in your mind, verses 19 to 25, and, and follow the logic of what he's saying. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. In other words, we draw near to Christ. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then notice what it says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as what? You see the day drawing near. Folks, if faith is doing its proper work in our hearts, we are going to want to draw near to consider how to spur one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. If there's a desire to separate from the people of God, there is a spiritual problem in the heart. How easy it is for God's people to drift and the outworking of that so often is, you know what, I don't need to be with God's people. You know what, I can listen to the radio, I can watch that TV um, service, I can, I can go online. And we start to drift from God's people. But listen, we are living in light of the new age that has come in Christ. Where the curse is lifted where there is a new heaven, a new earth, where we are together forever with the Lord. And the Bible says that in light of that day drawing near, we are to be encouraging each other. Just two more and I'm done. This call to provide an outward call to action. Not only is it an inward and outward dependence on Christ, a desire and assurance to draw near to Christ and to his people, it starts to manifest itself with an unsettledness with the things of this world. You see, the whole reason that the author of Hebrews gives us chapter 11 is because these believers were trapped with a temporal, earthly mindset. They wanted to cling to that which had passed away. The, the old covenant, how God worked with his people before Jesus. They wanted to cling to something that had passed away. But yet the reality should be that these believers were to long for something greater. And that's why all through the book of Hebrews, Jesus is presented as greater than the angels. He's presented as greater than Moses, greater than the priesthood, greater than the sacrifices in the Old Testament. He's presented as the author of a new and better covenant. All of these things are to be the things that God's people strive for, that we strive for. But how many times are we like these 
people in, he, in the book of Hebrews that were tempted to cling to that which was passing away. Man, we cling to the earth's riches. We cling to this world's pleasures. We cling to the comforts of this life when we know that God is calling us into something more. Will we answer that call? Is God doing a work in your heart that he is unsettling things in your life? And you know that God is calling you for more. And the answer is, will you step out by faith? Last but not least, as we've emphasized throughout this morning, this outward call to action produces in itself a desire to live in light of the promises of God. Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40, the end of this passage reads, and all these, all these guys that were mentioned, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You know what that's telling us? That they saw the promises from, a, from afar. But God knows that there was more of his people yet to come. And they lived their life in faith. They looked to the promises of God, but they did not receive them. Why? Because God had more people to gain for himself. That's me and you. Amen? That apart from us, they would not be perfected. That apart from us, they would not receive the final inheritance that was promised to them because it is likewise promised to us. And as we go out into this world, as we go out into our neighborhoods, as we go out to our families, and we talk to our, our children that, that do not know the Lord, we try to raise them and bring them up in the ways of the Lord, we Keep in mind that we desire that God's full gathering of his people take place because they are called to be partakers of the promises of God just as we are. And man, we are to live for that reality.